you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome to the next edition of Bare Naked Money with there's only a shower curtain between us. And we're going to have an off-the-wall conversation today. We had a request come in from a listener asking the question, what was the most off-the-wall investment ideas that you guys have heard? And it got Josh and I to talking. Now, I think we may disappoint a little bit because I know I have a filter up that keeps a lot of stuff away from me and I immediately dismiss stuff. So probably the most exciting stuff I've either forgotten or people just didn't come to me with. But I do have a couple. And Josh, being the studious fellow that he is, I am sure has come up with a couple of gems for us today. There you go, Josh. I built the expectation. Don't disappoint. What do you have for us? Well, I'm. we're probably going to approach this from a two kind of different angles because you've been around a lot longer than I have in the business. So you've probably seen a lot more off the wall ideas than I have, but the last few years have given us some absolute gems. So I want to start there. And I would say the most off the wall investment idea in the last 10 years for me is NFTs. Yeah, no, I, I knew we would get here. And my problem with, with, with putting this on the list is it's almost mainstream. It's there's many, many people that don't think this is off the wall, like this is out there. So I'm not sure if this is obscure as some people are looking for. It does absolutely fit the definition of off the wall. And maybe you can give me an update. Are these still a thing? Like, are people still <laughs> making them and buying them? Well, okay. So better than, than are they still a thing? I'll actually share with you. I actually have NFTs. <laughs> And, and I didn't know that I had NFTs until earlier this week. So I was buying a concert ticket and they said, oh, do you want your digital asset? I think that's what they call it, a digital asset. Oh, that's much better. Yes. So I, I went in and I was like, oh, I might as well claim this. Might as well see what it's all about. And so I have the virtual ticket stub from the concert that I'm going to this summer. And I had got one from the, the same concert that I went to last summer as well. So so, so are they still a thing? Yes, they are. They're still, they're still a thing. I think some of them are, still have some value. I find it completely bizarre because how is my ticket stub from this concert worth anything? I, I don't know. Maybe if I put it in a virtual scrapbook or something, it would be kind of cool for me personally, but I haven't done any scrapbooking since I was 10, I don't think. So maybe not the most exciting thing for me. Well, people do collect ticket stubs. That, that is a thing, but I, the, the most genius thing in what you just told me is that they have like repositioned this whole thing. It's an asset now. It's it's right in the name. A digital. Ooh, digital's powerful. Digital's way better than analog. Assets are good things. <laughs> I have a digital asset. That's a those are powerful words. Yeah. That must be worth something. Must be. Anyway, the whole the whole concept of these is kind of bizarre. It's like here's something that's by the the, the definition of the word non-fungible, so you can't copy it, but it's technically copyable because I can just copy and paste it or take a screenshot or whatever it is. So I, that's the part that I really struggle with. And then the hype that built around this, I, I guess just to take it back to the off the wall concept, I looked at these in a variety of different ways, ones that are just totally obscure. And then ones that just from an investment perspective, really break my brain. And I guess this is the one that kind of just breaks my brain. I I understand what they are and 
how people could like them, but I just don't see any value to them. People spend money on them. Like more than two people spent money on them. Like you own something, but it doesn't give you any rights to it. You know, you can't prevent other people from using it. You it just, no, there's, I, I don't know what combination of hallucinogenic drugs were required to actually cook this up and, and, and put it out there. And I'm just gobsmacked that it, that it still exists. And last I was aware, they were still actually able to be sold now at a fraction of what they went to market at the, the Donald Trump things are being sold, not at their peak, but people are still buying and selling them. Uh, yeah, you're right. This, this is a, a completely off the wall idea. It was almost like a Saturday night live skit that was brought to life by the magic. Eddie Murphy walked in and, and waved his hands and it became real. Like that, that's really what this smacks of. Yeah. Well, we're one idea in and we have already hit the hallucinogenic drug cocktail <laughs> point of the podcast. So <laughs> we got a lot to go. What do you got? Oh, I'm going to go back and kick it old school because a lot of the off the wall stuff that I, I've seen in my career has been cloaked in, in something that's, that's very comfortable for people and that's real estate. So, you know, the number of people that go down south for a vacation and come back saying, I'm going to build a house in Costa Rica, or I bought a condo in a project that's going to be built sometime next year and wherever. It's like, wow, like you really seriously thought that was a good idea. Now, well, real estate always goes up. No, no, no. You're buying real estate in an underdeveloped country as a foreigner with no understanding of the local laws, rules, or expectations. You think that a contract's a contract. Do you understand the law of a foreign country that you're dealing in? Well, my buddy, oh, here we go. The buddy defense. You know, you had a buddy that did this. So the number of clients that have lost six figures on various projects like this is way too high for me to count or want to remember. The, the thing about this one, and we were going to get into this, Josh, is to do how we can tell upfront that something is an off the wall idea. The number of people that, that, oh, it's real estate. Therefore they equate buying real estate in Costa Rica with buying real estate in North America. Well, it's the same thing. No, like you, it, it just isn't like, there's a whole bunch of follow-up questions there about contract law taxation, who, who you're dealing with on the other side, how well do you really know them? Like we understand the game because we've been brought up in the game in North America. You sign a, a contract, there's recourse to the courts. You kind of understand what's acceptable, what isn't. That could be completely different somewhere else. Like, like not even in the same hemisphere, like literally and figuratively, but number of people that have put their faith into that shipped money out of the country and just kissed it goodbye. Uh, yeah. That's, that's way, way too sad. I don't know that I haven't heard of it happening more recently. Josh, has anybody brought this to you about wanting to build a, a home in, in the Maldives or anything? Yeah, not so much like a pre-construction project or something like that. Obviously we, we hear about foreign investment in real estate and we're not poo-pooing every foreign real estate purchase outside of Canada. That's not by any means what you're doing here, but yeah, like investing in an undeveloped project in some developing country, I haven't. I haven't come across that. Well, yeah. And I am to a certain extent, I am pulling it because the, the level of complexity to execute these things and stay on side going forward is not, not small. You need to keep, 
keep track of changes to local law. You need to keep it, keep track of change to international tax treaties. You need to keep track of the local political landscape. The property you were built on has just been seized by the government for some kind of project. The complications there is, is almost unimaginable. And I'm going to keep it simple, stupid guy. It is way easier to have a regular rental spot you go to. And if the government seizes it to build a hotel or something, you just rent somewhere else next year, you go down. No harm, no foul. So, yeah, the, those ones, and yeah, there can be legit ones and typically more developed markets. It's safer. Or if you've got a family connection or you've got a family that live in another country, then there are ways to mitigate that. But just taking a flyer and saying, wow, I think Costa Rica is a great place. There's huge development. I, I saw this presentation and the government's investing all kinds of money, blah, 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 blah. And you know, I bought two units in a building they're putting up. Wow. Just be, no, just, just, just no. All right. Can I move on to another uh, new school one that I, I know we both are kind of racking our brains with, obviously, cryptocurrency, a, a close cousin of the NFT. and equally as bizarre for the same reasons. You can't value it. It's hard to understand what's going on under the hood. You don't know where your money's going, really. We've seen all kinds of fraud in this in this space. And when you hear something like Dogecoin being created as a joke and actually becoming what some people view as a legitimate investment opportunity, and it, but in their defense, it went up astronomically high. Uh, just again, kind of breaks my brain as to how people throw money after this stuff. Well, I've never seen a more clear demonstration of the halo effect. It's, it's when you look at something, it's like, well, that's stupid. And all of a sudden it starts to make money for people. It's like, well, if it's making money, I'm in. And that's pretty much all, all there was to it, right? There's, and we're seeing it blow up, but then now that some of the, the, the glitter has come off, it's, it's just getting eviscerated. Like all of the, all of the complaining about what it wasn't is now coming to the forefront. That's what's being talked about. But I mean, it, it, there's some parallels, I think, to, obviously not all, but there's some parallels to the valuations we've seen on some tech companies, right? It, it just went to a super level that was never really completely understood by current metrics. Why did it go there? Because it did. Is it going to stay there? Probably. Why? Because that's where people put it. So there's this illusion that something detaches from reality and has success, well, FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't want to miss out. So I'm going to jump in and FOMO is powerful enough, apparently to, to take Dogecoin from being a joke currency that was created as a, as a lark into something that actually I'm still talking about. So yeah, it's probably the power of FOMO would, would be the, probably the biggest wind beneath the wings of, of, of the, of the crypto world. And every time it had a little bit of success, that momentum just picked up. Yeah. And I, I think that's something you'll find as a common denominator with all of these things that we're talking about. When people are throwing money at them, it is the FOMO thing, or it's the, you mentioned it before. It's the, my buddy said, this is cool. And it's like, okay, well, if my buddy said it, it must be legit. And a lot of these things start with my buddy did this or my buddy thought that. And yeah, so NFTs and cryptocurrencies, I think are probably two of the best examples of, we'll call them buddy investment ideas or FOMO investment ideas. I think both those make total sense. Yep. 
Is, is it my turn? Go for it. All right. So I'm going to go hardcore Nelson. So for all of the people out there who have any connection to us, Nelson is a small community in the, the, the South Kootenays in BC that we have an office and I spend a lot of time at. And this really isn't off the wall and this really happened. Right. So I met a guy and he was talking about this company that had this wonderful product that had all kinds of, of uses. And it was a, a special metal that they had been, they had found somewhere in the mountains, blah, blah, blah. So he actually had a piece of it with him. So he said, here, take that hot cup of coffee. Okay. And he took the metal rod and he put it in the coffee and it instantly transferred the heat from the coffee all the way up the rod. So your hand got hot, like right away. Like it was kind of magic as to how quick it transferred the heat. And he started rhyming off all of the stats about how fast this material was able to transfer heat and all the industrial uses were going to be for this. And it was all this wonderful things. And this was an investment idea. He was walking around with a stick of magic metal, <laughs> extolling the virtues of, we should invest in this. It's like, wow. I, yeah, I don't even have a follow-up question. I, did you find out what metal it actually was? Cause it, I, I knew at the time, but I didn't retain it because okay. well, I, I put other more important information in my head, but yeah, this guy was earnest and in a, in a community that's mining based and there's a lot of mining history, right? When you, when you have that kind of community around you, there are going to be people that you're getting, you're going to get an audience, right? Ooh, you found it. Wow. I wonder how they refined that. And, oh, there was a guy up at the tech site and da, 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 da. Oh, there's a whole, there's only one spot in the mountain. You can get it really only one spot. So it, again, it just, it grows. And this was, this was the pitch. Yeah. We just need to get together some money. I bet you do. <laughs> I feel like it's uh, like a stick of iron ore or something <laughs> like such some super common metal. And cause well, I, he, he showed me something and I'm not smart enough to know. Like you're right. It could have been. Well, that, and that's the other thing is like, I don't have any real counterfactuals. Like what, what would a piece of iron do in that same situation or to heat up to, or a piece of copper copper is known for its conductive heat conductive ability so like do you stick a piece of copper in there and it gets just as hot just as fast <laughs> so well, see this is this is where you and i pl play the game a little bit different when somebody starts talking to me like that i'm keeping all the follow-up questions in my head i'm trying to i'm fighting a principled retreat i'm just trying to get out of the conversation because if i start going down the bunny hole they may think i'm one of them and well, I might stuck in yeah, and I might be there throwing some fuel on the fire. Just like, okay, how how deep does this go? How deep, how deep does this go? <laughs> how much can I learn from this conversation? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good one. I, I actually, so I have another client related story, uh, same province, and this one has to do with diamond mining. So the guy was given an option to have a private investment in a diamond mine. So. I don't know a ton about diamond mining. I know that there's not a ton of, of profitable diamond mining companies out there. And anytime, it, again, buddy theory, my buddy is giving me the opportunity to 10 times my money on a private diamond mine. It's like, okay, I any junior mining, we'll get into junior mining later, gives me some skepticism because it's very hit and miss and, and a whole lot more miss than hit. But yeah, when you start talking about private companies and diamonds, especially, that's a bit of a unique one. Well, yeah, you have to wonder because again, the world operates somewhat efficiently. So if there's this huge opportunity, the person who has the opportunity is going to want to keep the profit for themselves. It's human nature. Very seldom do spontaneously people decide, I'm going to give everybody around me 
a huge opportunity to invest in something because I'm just being magnanimous. This is right. It's that's that doesn't happen often. In fact, well, very very rarely. And to think that there's an opportunity out there that just because you know somebody who knows somebody, you're going to get a chance to ten times your money with no risk or any kind of certainty. Every once in a while, those things pay off, but it's often, if not always, by accident. So, yeah, whenever somebody comes to me, something that's too good to be true. I need to understand the business model. Why are you offering it? Why didn't you offer this to somebody else? Why isn't somebody else willing to pay more uh, for this opportunity you're offering me? Yeah, too good to be true. Uh, big thing should should be should be something that that creates a lot of skepticism. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go look at the Bernie Madoff Netflix special. There you go. Don't, don't no, don't go look at that. It makes this whole industry look bad. No. It's true, but doesn't make us look good. What else you got, Colin? Uh, Josh, do you remember labor-sponsored venture capital funds? Yeah, do I? <laughs> I still, I, I still see accounts with with the remnants of them all the time. <laughs> the shrapnel. Yeah, zero, zero balance, zero dollar value securities. So yes, yes. So, so this was, and again, probably people listening to the podcast who, who, who took part in these. Um, so the labor-sponsored venture capital were back in the day when economic development was a problem and unemployment was an issue. And they needed programs to, to try to spark the employment. So what they did was they had, we had one here in Atlantic Canada, and it was Atlantic Canada Opportunities Fund. So you got to raise money, and the province signed on to give additional tax benefits, right? So you got more than just an RSP receipt. You could actually get more tax benefits by putting money into these things. But the mandate was they had to invest it in the region to create jobs, right? So you tell somebody that you can save them more in their income tax, well, you're going to get a line at your door. Like They're not going to listen to much of the rest of the details. So these things sold like hotcakes, yeah, but there was, uh, depending on which one you're in, there was a hold, like you had to leave it in there for five, six, seven years, whatever. But so little of your own money was at risk. A lot of people, that didn't matter to them because I'm saving my taxes, right? I get more back in my taxes, I'm in. Well, the funny thing about them was that they were so successful at raising money, they couldn't find anywhere to invest it. So I had accounting buddies who were accountants for local firms, and these guys would call them up for to get a presentation. And one guy literally said the guy fell asleep during the presentation, woke up and wrote him a $3 million check because they had to get the money invested in order to take in new money. So there was no, it was basically, they were just throwing money out the door because if they kept it on the books, the government was going to shut them down and said, you guys can't raise any more money until you invest that money. And the amount of money exceeded the opportunities to invest. And by definition, they were investing in startups and venture capital and stuff was completely illiquid. And that end of the spectrum, which is super high risk and very illiquid. And yes, Josh, even today, we're still seeing shrapnel and remnants of this sitting in people's accounts. And this kind of goes, well, there's a different version of this that we'll talk about later that has some parallels that I'll, I'll circle back to this and tie it in as to when there's a tax benefit to doing something, it just be, that's, that's a big red flag. Yeah. So I started the business in 2011. And I've seen literally thousands, maybe tens of thousands of client accounts uh, because I, I used to work out of our, uh, our our company's sort of corporate offices. So I saw clients all across the country. I saw accounts and regularly 
I will come across these investments that are sitting there with a $0 market value and they can't be moved off the books. And me being a curious guy, it's like, what are these? Because labor-sponsored funds really haven't been issued since I've come into the business, as far as I know. Maybe the odd one here and there, but it was probably pre-2010, right? Colin, most of these are... Well, you're testing my memories. Everything was yeah. five years ago to me. Uh, yeah, probably pre-2010. Yeah. So I, ha I haven't seen, bottom line, I haven't seen a lot of these deals come freshly uh, to the table over the last little while in my career, but I have seen a lot of these $0 zero value securities in client accounts. And they're just sitting there because maybe one day there's some remnants of value there as some of these private companies get sold off or make some type of profit longer term. But people, so, and just to explain what these things were, you invest say $5,000 in them, you get a pretty significant tax credit. So you get immediate tax savings. People love that. And the proposition of here's a high risk investment that I'm sure were positioned as lower risk investments at the time that would make people a lot of money. What ended up happening? Well, a whole bunch of them went to zero. So you made zero money. You lost all your investment. Yeah, you got some tax savings, but you lost a whole lot more dollars than you got in the tax savings. Well, no, the pitch from the companies was, look, you're going to put $5,000 in, you're going to get $3,000 back in taxes. You only have $2,000 at risk. Yep. So even if it just keeps its keeps its head above water at five grand, you're going to more than double your money. Well, fuck, if it just has to break even, that must be easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, yeah, here it is at zero and you lost all your money anyway. Okay, good good stuff. Um, I know where you're going with the, the closely related one. And I had that one on my list too, because these ones have been issued a little bit more during my career, flow through shares, which yep. are pretty much the same idea. You get a tax credit for making the investment. These ones are specific to junior mining companies, ju junior oil, junior mining companies. So uh, like that diamond mine I was talking about, you're, you're throwing money at something that probably has, I don't know, what I'm going to say one in a hundred chance of big success. Do you think that's fair? I'm just, I just made that number up totally. I have nothing to go on, but it's, it's probably in that well, ballpark. So, so there's two categories in the flow throughs. That's one of them, like the complete throwaway money. I hope there's something in the ground. I'm going to dig a hole and I'll let you know. But there's also the actual producers, right? So some of the producing companies also had uh, some exploration going on. Right? right. So the way the game worked there is, and these were far more interesting because, hey, if it's an operating business, that's better than some guy digging a hole and hoping. But the way the system would work is the, the, the flow through guys would raise the capital. And then they go out and they start calling all these companies because they had to get them to issue shares from treasury. So it was dilutive to, to the firm in order to get the tax credit because it was only treasury shares that got the tax credit. And depending on how much money was floating around there, you were paying a premium. Like you weren't paying market price. You were paying some kind of a premium because you were the company had to be willing to give up its tax credit. So there's behind the scenes, you're already in the hole. Like, and you never knew until after the fact, because they raised the capital and they went out and deployed it. So in every year, depending on how much competition was, how far you were in the hole to begin with. And then the hold period on them was two years, Josh. I think I've seen. I think two, that's three right. Years. It's been a while since I looked at them, but I think that's right. Yeah. So you're, you're basically investing in a commodity pay that you paid a premium to get in. You know, now you got to flow through the tax credit for it, which is kind of the offset and the same, they'll use the same math. It's like. Oh, you invest $5,000, but you really only have $2,000 at risk. As long as this holds its value, you'll be good. It's like, oh, okay. But 
it's it's kind of works against you and you're investing in something that's very volatile with it you don't have to necessarily sell it at the end of two years but if you're expecting to roll these every two years that's a really short period in the commodity world that it could move with you or against you yeah well and a lot of these they don't have liquidity after two years as well like the labor sponsored funds and the the flow throughs so just because you can doesn't mean you'll be able to after that couple year holding period and it's funny because you, you had the flow throughs and then they came out with super flow throughs. It's like, oh, if a flow through is good, the super flow through has to be awesome. Was it a super asset flow through? <laughs> I, I, I have to think that anytime you add super to the name of an investment, you have to run the other way, right? <laughs> Prove me wrong on that. No, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that that's pretty safe. Like you're not going to go too far wrong. If it's if super is in front of your investment, then yes, that's probably... Not not a good investment. Yeah. Super. I'm just waiting for super NFTs or super coin or whatever it is next. Josh, don't say it out loud. We, we could launch super coin. <laughs> this is our promotional video. <laughs> there you go. We'll get Catherine to edit this out later so nobody knows about the upcoming super coin. All right. I got another new school one for you, Colin. The whole meme stock game and specifically GameStop. <laughs> this is... It, it's the dumbest smart investment I've ever seen, I think, if that makes sense. On the one hand, the the actual technical thought process behind the people that came up with the GameStop thing and, and sort of creating a short squeeze, manufacturing a short squeeze using an internet forum. Hey, that's pretty freaking brilliant. But you're also throwing money at something that is almost a defunct company that is totally unprofitable, that doesn't really have a path to any profits. Well, that's just it. I mean, to me, this is not, this is pure speculation. It's not an investment, right? So you're right. Last I saw, it wasn't creating any value or nominal value compared to the valuation they had on it. So yeah, you're just completely playing a game that's being controlled by others. And if you think you're plugged in, hey, you go for it, but you know, chances are you're not as plugged in as you think you are. Uh, there's forces at play that you should not trifle with. Certainly don't make it the, the cornerstone of anything you're doing. I, I, so I haven't looked at GameStop stock in a while just to see where it's at. Now, it, it's still from a couple of years ago before this whole thing started. It's still yeah. up like four and a half times from where it was. So... Like some of these I struggle with because it is totally off the wall. I I think it's stupid, but it's made people a ton of money if they got in at that really early time. So the whole it, it's just it's bizarre. Again, breaking my breaking my brain. Well, I mean, what you know, to be an investable idea, you have to understand what's going to unlock the wealth and what's the catalyst. What was the catalyst to cause it to go where? We're, what's going to be the catalyst for the unwinding of this thing? You know, like Josh, you're on record of not being a Tesla fan for a long time. Tesla didn't make any sense to you. And you're starting to look more right now, but for a long time you were wrong. And d- delusions can persist. But that doesn't make them predictable. That doesn't make them a good investment. Just because you made money at something doesn't make it a good investment. There's, there's things in the world that we can take a look at and have some kind of idea or expectation that things are going to work out well. And other things is just going to be a complete surprise. And if you're, gonna, if you're stumbling through life looking for the big surprises to make you rich, you better play a lot of games. Like you better bet on a lot of different things in order for one of those to pay off because they're completely unfor- uh, completely unforeseeable. And on the how wrong was Josh watch as it relates to Tesla, 
now up about 70% this year, if you can believe it. So I don't get it still, but we'll, we'll keep updating our audience on how wrong I've been on that over time. There you go. See? Sorry, is this is this causing you to trigger? Like, uh, should I stop bringing up Tesla as an example? No, it's a, it's a great one. It's a great one. All right, so it's my turn. Yep, go for it. Are you ready? Are you ready for me to go controversial? Yeah. You ready for us to get hate mail? Yep. One of the stupidest and wildest off the cuff investment ideas that I've ever seen in my entire career. Gold. The whole. The whole concept the of gold. The whole thing. The whole concept of gold. They're, the Canadian gold mining industry has set fire to more shareholder capital than I think any other industry could without going to jail. So are you talking about actual gold stocks or the physical all of metal it. of gold? Or the, the, of just okay. the, the whole delusion over the whole thing. Yeah. Again, what are the practical uses for it? it? It's the greater fool theory. I'm going to buy it hoping somebody else is going to pay more for it later. It's just a lump of metal that does not play the role it once played in our financial system, has not behaved as anybody foretold gold would, for, would, would behave during any of the financial crisis or any of the global crisis that we've had. So I'm still waiting for it to go to $10,000 an ounce. And people have been telling me it's going to $10,000 an ounce pretty much since I came in the business. But it's a store of value, Colin. Oh, here we go. Yes, yes. <laughs> if, if you... Define a store as the place that you put a piece of meat in a freezer and let it slowly decay over time till eventually it's made nothing. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll buy that. <laughs> so I think I saw recently that we, after uh, almost 40 years of trading below the, uh, the, the inflation-adjusted uh, sort of break-even point, gold recently ticked above that level. I think that was last year. Um, cause it, it previously hit a peak an inflation adjusted peak in the eighties and just kind of went back above that level recently. So I guess you could say it's been a store of value over that time, but it's, it's, it's a hard argument to make. I think when you look at the actual data, what makes a bit more sense to me is the people that claim it as a diversifying asset in a, in a well-diversified portfolio. It has some merit is that I believe. But I still have a hard time throwing money after something like this for the reasons that you outlined. Buying beer is a diversifier because you get to take the empties back for the refunds. I mean, holding it out as a diversifier, like, no, I'm sorry. There's, there's anything could be a diversifier. I could buy a nice bottle of scotch, call that a diversifier. I guess I should stop using alcohol references, but you know, you get my point. No, it, if you listen to the people in the space and I've tried because one of these days I could be wrong and I'd, I'd like to be aware when I was being wrong, but nothing in the space has ever made the remotest amount of sense to me and watching it behave is like, okay, we're having global instability. What's gold doing? Like, well, it's just sitting there like, well, isn't it supposed to run to the front now? Isn't it supposed to actually kick in? Oh, no, it's not going to $10,000 an ounce. So anyway, for me, and I'm an outlier on this, I say that's one of the more off the wall investment ideas. That's a, and everybody's still participating in the, the, the gross, the, the universal delusion that this is someday going to be a thing and there's still an audience for it. And there's people still willing to buy and sell it, which is, goes back to the capital that's been raised by the Canadian mining industry, looking for gold. And some of the, some of the stories about digging holes with millions and millions of dollars, and there's absolutely nothing there. Uh, but that's not going to stop them from raising millions and millions to dig another hole. So. 
Yeah. One of my good friends who works in the business and has been in the business a long time has said that gold mining companies have destroyed more shareholder wealth than any type of company on the planet, which I don't think it's been fact fact tested, but uh, it's probably not far off from the truth. So Absolutely. I'm glad you I'm I'm glad you mentioned Scotch Colin because the client that actually asked us to do this podcast was mentioning whiskey casks as an investment idea. This is something that came across his desk. And I haven't heard whiskey casks specifically, although I mean you can always, I guess, take a boat to Scotland and buy a whiskey cask, but I have heard that uh, wine investing is becoming a little bit more mainstream to the extent that one of my clients actually has some type of online platform that allows him to buy physical bottles of wine and store these bottles of wine. So it is that's getting up there and sort of the off the wall type of ideas. Well, no, but the business of catering to these people, that sounds like a real business. Like the that's guy a operating business I want to own. Yeah. Yeah. That, that guy operating the website who's providing that service. There's a business. He's actually adding value, answering a need, cashing a check, making a profit. I could get behind that guy. Yeah. To to the extent that you would consider whiskey or wine or whatever as a collectible, there is some merit to that as an investment idea. Collectibles like that, and you could throw art in there and coins in there, have shown some ability to keep up with inflation over time. But I just don't think your average Joe should be trying to invest in bottles of Cabernet Sauvignon from California. And, and calling it his retirement. Yeah. yeah. And calling it his retirement. Where's my <laughs> well, retirement? It's in yeah. the basement. You go down, it's a bunch of wines. Like, holy shit, you can be drunk your whole retirement. No, no, I'm going to sell it. You know, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the problem in all of the space is the efficiency of the market. The one thing capital markets have going for them is there's efficient price discovery and there's identifiable catalysts that move prices one direction or another. Yeah. You get into the, these other spaces. And like trading cards and things like that. And you had all of the scams of people producing fake trading cards and diminishing value and stuff like that. The market there is just not efficient. It's not liquid. Well, sorry, it is liquid, but you know, hey, you know what I mean? It's, but you know, as a hobby, sure. If somebody shows up in my yeah. office and they have their wine collection listed as an asset on their spreadsheet for their net worth, I'm deleting it. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, unless you own a winery, I'm not counting that. Yeah. How much of that wine are you going to drink as well? If, if your retirement asset is consumable and you're going to do the, do the consuming, <laughs> then it's probably a little bit questionable. Yeah. Well, it's prepaid groceries. I mean, maybe that'd be the entry with that on, on the, on the balance sheet, you know, uh, who knows? So I, you, I know, I think I know what you, you have one more, right? I do. It's probably not what you think. Oh, well, we, we have to do the one I think. Yeah, go. Okay, go. You, 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 you do the one that you, that you don't think, I think. Okay. Well, so I, this, one, this one has been probably around forever, uh, as far as I know, but penny stocks. And this is another sort of my buddy said this or a get rich quick type of thing. And the penny stocks have kind of been replaced by cryptocurrencies over the last few years as sort of the, the apple of the get rich quick eye. But- these are, they're literally stocks worth pennies, first of all. Um, but the idea of, well, if it just goes up one penny, I double my money. That's pretty enticing. But most of them don't. And they're so fraught with risk and scams and pump and dump. And oh, it just, uh, it's not a money maker for people. People lose money at it. Well, it's the entire 
basis of the movie Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. That was that was how they made all of their money. And the smaller companies are more easy to manipulate. And it's just more easy to move around. Now, with technology, we've seen the GameStop things play out. So there's there's mm-hmm. different venues for things to play out. But I do know that the the, the small cap states, it's also very expensive to raise those kind of, of offerings. Like when they come to the investment shops and say, hey, I got this idea, I want to raise some money. The fees that are charged on those are ginormous, right? So there's a lot of appetite to want to make these things work. Right. I mean, I actually was at an event one time and a guy was pitching me the idea because they used to refer to, to BC as Las Vegas North because most of the penny stocks traded on the BC Stock Exchange. Because yep. again, BC is very mineral rich and there's a whole bunch of that prospector kind of vibe out there. But they've they've really struggled recently. It's, it, it hasn't been going all that well. It's a difficult space to carve out and there's a whole lot of disappointment and clients lose their money and don't go back. So they were pitching the idea and they were lobbying quite hard that they wanted the federal government to allow Canadians to sell blue chip stocks and not pay capital gains on the sale of the blue chip stock if it got reinvested in junior companies to help fuel oh. the growth of Canada. Oh no, so <laughs> I, I've thought, never heard this. They thought that that was a really good idea and they actually had hired lobbyists and they were lobbying hard for this idea. Look, they said, oh wow, no, that's just no. And fortunately it never did go anywhere. But there was a lobby group in BC that, that thought this was good. Unlock all of the value that's trapped in these ridiculous blue chip stocks and allow Canadians to redeploy that money into the growth sector to aid the growth of the Canadian mining sector. Yeah, that's the definition of taking good money and throwing it after bad. Yeah. Wow. You don't have to pay tax on it if you piss it up against the wall. <laughs> Seems like a good idea to me. <laughs> okay. No tax. I stopped listening at no tax. <laughs> all right. What's your last one? The Shack SPAC. Oh, well, the SPACs. How did I not have a SPAC on I, here? No that, that, I, I thought you were going to lead with it. I thought there was a big buildup to it. But a pool of money that you, you put together for no apparent reason, hoping to do something with sometime in the future. Is, is that not what a SPAC was? Yeah, for basically, in a nutshell. Yeah. 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 Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation. And Shack I, launched one. Another word. That you don't want associated with your investments. Special. If it's special, yeah. move on from it. It's, it's probably not special in the way that you want it to be. Yeah. No. Ah. Uh, no. That's that. That was the the most obvious grift since Bernie Madoff. Like, it, and it, well, I can't call Bernie Madoff obvious. It was a very obvious grift. Like, we're going to put together this pool of capital. What are you doing with it? We don't know yet. Trust us. And it worked. I, I, it's just. Wow. I mean, I, well, maybe that's that's a good cue that there was too much money around. Yeah. Maybe that's... For, for the record, not all of them are frauds. We're, we're, not, we're not saying that, but it has a, a little eau de fraud, if you want to call it that. On the way in, none of them smelled good. Now, if some of them actually that's worked right. out, then okay. Sure. But I'm, I'm not calling it all a criminal enterprise. Yeah. But So, yeah. yeah, so sorry to cut you off there. If we can, as we wrap up here, if we can look at some sort of common themes from one to the next. What what are a few that you would highlight as that's a little bit too off the wall to be a legitimate investment idea? Investing in things that don't create value. That that's that's often where I start. 
Like yeah. if I buy it, if I buy a share in just to keep it simple, if I bought a share in Tim Hortons, which you can't do, but if I bought a share in Tim Hortons, I want to buy my coffee from them. They're going to make a profit. They're going to create economic value over time. I understand that relationship. I'm investing in something that is every day working, operating, creating value. If you're investing in something or putting money into something where you can't see how the value is being created, that's that's your first red flag. Yeah. What, what, what is this doing every day that's creating value that I can profit from in the future? That's one of the things I look for. Uh, what's the business model of what I'm getting involved here? Because a lot of what we've talked about comes down to the greater fool theory. I need to find somebody mm-hmm. that's going to buy this from me for their own reasons. Right? It's, it's not apparent. Yeah. Yeah. And the more sort of anecdotal type, I'll call them uh, factors, I'd say if if there's an element of FOMO to it, probably not something you want to jump into. If there is an element of my buddy said this, probably not something you want to jump into. And if you're in the the hockey dressing room and everybody's talking about something, it's probably the time you want to go the other way, not get into it. Well, it's stuff that seems really super complicated because that's mm-hmm. that's one of the, the hallmarks of a fraud. It seems really, really complicated on yeah. some level. That's and, another then one. A, and then a miracle happens, right? It, here, watch this 20-minute video on foreign exchange trading and trade on our platform. You can be an expert in 20 minutes and make $5,000 a month just trading foreign exchange on your lunch break, that, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, so that, that's another one, a good, the quick buck type of idea. Yeah. That That's that's huge in this space. And uh definitely something you want to avoid for sure. I, I, I think with that, people need to understand that risk and return are always going to be related. So if you have a chance to make your money 10 times over, then there's probably a 10 times greater likelihood that you end up in zero, yeah. maybe more. Well, yeah. And, and this is how we define risk, right? When we talk risk with our clients most of the time, it's risk of volatility. Like unless the global economy all shuts down the same day and all the companies go to business, client with us can't lose their entire account yeah so but if you're investing in a night hey i hope there's diamonds in that hole yeah that 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 can go to zero so you're actually risking uh, a go to zero event so right no i i think I, for me talk to a professional advisor like uh, yes there, there's there's a lot of hair on the professional advising community and all the rest of it but run it past a professional somewhere and let them make a case against it and see if it makes sense Right. And if you have a good trusting relationship, then that's even better. Um, but there's a lot of things out there. And it's funny. I mean, we have this conversation internally. One of our big value props to our clients is we're going to keep you out of the fads because we can recognize them. We have the perspective to know, yeah, that's kind of weird. No, we can't trust that. And listen, some of the stuff we avoid actually makes money. Like marijuana made money for a while. Right. So some of the stuff that we stay out of makes money, but that doesn't make it a good idea. Just because somebody made money at something doesn't make it a good idea. It's it's what you know at the moment you make a decision to go into something. That's where you have either made a mistake or not. How it turns out could be completely random. And if you want to know what not to look for in a professional advisor, watch The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> and what was the other one we referenced earlier? Oh, Bernie Madoff? Bernie Madoff, yes. So that'll uh, give you a couple highlights of what you want to avoid when you're looking for yeah. a professional. And to be clear, those are not how-to videos for anybody. So for any young people out there who want to get in the business, neither one of those are how-to videos. Don't don't look at them that way. Seems a good spot to end it. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Josh. 
Based on observation, it seems that the time an investor is most likely to move his or her portfolio to a new advisor is when the old advisor dies. Let us go on record as saying that having a pulse is not a great reason to trust someone with your entire financial future. Stop putting your life in the hands of stillbreathingwealthplanners.com and call us. information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. This should not be construed as legal, tax, or campaign advice. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.